Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I actually never wanted to change my name growing up, but it wasn't until I was a professional actress, I was told over and over to change my name to the point where I was up for a very, very big job, the big feature with the studio, one of the leads. And I sat there in my fourth callback and they came in and they said, everybody loves you, but we need you to change your name. Wow. And I really didn't believe that that was going to be the deal breaker. And I didn't get the job. And that wasn't the only time. And, and by the way, I didn't change my name and I lost out on a lot of things. I just never felt that that was something I was going to do. And I didn't want to compromise that. Hi, I am Sheeple Chef and I am a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Roman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. an acclaimed actress, producer, author, cancer graduate, and activist. Sheetal's known for provocative performances in a wide range of memorable roles across film and television. She's an outspoken advocate, having had op-eds published in CNN, The Daily Beast, and Thrive Global. And what really has had Sheetal on my radar is she's a children's book author, which holds a special place in my heart. She has a series of books, the first of which is Always Anjali, published in 2018 to wide acclaim. And Sheetal has joined the leading literacy nonprofit Reading is Fundamental to celebrate and engage kids in the important topic of diversity, which is one of the themes for the Rally to Read 100, a six-month initiative encouraging kids to read 100 books leading up to a celebratory event on March 2nd, which also happens to be Read Across America Day. We'll put the link in the show notes. But before we get into our conversation with Sheetal, we want to do something a little bit different, Sharon. Are you ready for something different? I'm so ready for this. I'm really excited to do this. As you know, I love reading kids' books. As much as I love Wes Anderson movies and comic books and graphic novels, reading to my kids is one of my favorite things to do, but reading great books. And I discovered Sheetal's first book, Always Anjali, a few years ago, and it's one of my daughter's favorite books. So here's a very fun reading with some voices you've heard and maybe some voices you haven't heard. Always Anjali by Sheetal Sheth and illustrated by Jessica Blank. Once upon a restless night, a little girl named Anjali lay wide awake in her bed. She was turning seven, and she had super important business on her mind. Bikes! All she wanted was one of her own. Finally, the sun rose, and Anjali sprung out of bed. She zoomed downstairs right past her mom, not stopping until she found herself in front of a large box. She closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and carefully opened it. Thank you, thank you, thank you! It's perfectly stupendous. This like a race car. Anjali cheered as she took a spin around the kitchen. Can I take it to the school carnival this afternoon? Anjali hit the brakes at her mom's feet. Please, 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 please. Anjali's face lit up when her mom nodded. After school, Anjali and her best friends, Mary and Courtney, were riding their bikes together around the carnival. Mary spotted a booth that was selling personalized license plates. Awesome. We should all get matching plates for our bikes. Superb! Anjali and Courtney agreed as they made their way to the booth. Mary and Courtney found theirs right away. Anjali looked and looked. Anjali asked if they had any more plates somewhere else. Sorry, kid. The cashier grumbled. Could you please check? Anjali pleaded. The cashier muttered, What's your name? Anjali. Huh? Spell it. A-N-J-A-L-I. Anjali. The cashier chuckled and tossed a plate in front of Anjali. Angela. Anjali suddenly heard one of the older boys, Zachary, snickering. 
They're not going to have a play for someone like you, Angeli. Angeli's face got hot. Peanut butter and jelly. Can I get a peanut butter and jelly with a dot on top? Then she heard laughter. <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. Can I get a peanut butter and jelly with a dot on top? More classmates had joined Zachary. Anjali blinked back tears. At dinner that night, Anjali cleared her throat. I am changing my name to Angie. She announced. Anjali, why would you want to do that? Your name is beautiful. Anjali's dad assured her. No, it isn't. It's embarrassing, and it's Angie. Anjali cried. Your name is a very important part of who you are. Anjali's mom said. Exactly. Anjali said defiantly. And no one has heard of it. No one could spell it. And frankly, I hate it. You are not changing your name, Anjali's dad said firmly. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Anjali burst into tears and ran to her room. Anjali, do you know we picked your name out especially for you? From the moment we saw you, we knew we needed a special name for a special girl, a name whose meaning would capture your spirit. My name means something. Anjali peeked her head out. Her mother nodded. Wh- what? What does it mean? Anjali challenged her mom. Anjali is a gift, the most precious kind, divine, just like you. Why does it mean that? Anjali asked doubtfully. In India, it's Sanskrit. My name, your dad's name, all of our family's names are from India. India is an enchanting place, full of magic and brilliance and power. Be proud of who you are, Anjali. To be different is to be marvelous. <laughs> Anjali awoke in the middle of the night with a start. She bolted out of bed with a mission. She turned on a little lamp and got to work. An hour later, and with the final touches done, she reviewed her creation one last time. The next day at school, Mary and Courtney were waiting for Anjali with the box. Anjali opened the box, and to her surprise, she found an Anjali license plate. We made you one exactly like ours. You guys aren't gonna believe it, but Anjali teased gleefully. She pulled the license plate she had made out of her backpack. Mary and Courtney squealed. Eee! Their classmates walked over, wondering what was causing all the commotion. When they saw the special license plate Anjali made, everyone wanted one that would be just as one of a kind. Wow, you made that! Love those colors and how you drew those letters. I've never seen anything like it. What are those beautiful little gem-like things? They're called bindies. Cool. Can you make one for me that no one will have too? A N J A L I. After school, when Zachary spotted Anjali, he yelled, "Hey, Anjali, do you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch?" He burst out laughing. <laughs> oh my God. Anjali took a deep breath and stood up straight, looking right at Zachary. She quipped, "They're the best kind." She hopped on her bike and whizzed past Zachary and his friends. She had places to go and didn't have time for foolishness. She knew there was greatness in not being one of the crowd, and vowed to always be Anjali. So I'm pretty sure you know who two of those voices were, but Sharon and I enlisted a couple of guest readers as well, who will remain nameless. They're kind of our favorite people that we reference quite a bit on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and I mean, before we talk about the episode, Sharon, what do you think of the book? I love the book, and I have a very special connection to the book. So, Sheetal and I were both moms in the same preschool class. So our kids went to preschool together, and when Sheetal was working on the book and drafts of the book, it was when our kids were in class. So Sheetal would come in, and she would kind of do some test readings, and she was, you know, the same way a comedian would test material. She was reading the book and kind of getting some initial reactions. So I've seen the book in development, and then we kind of lost touch because you know our kids went to. Elementary school, and I moved across the country. So when her name popped up again, I was just like, "Wait, is this the same 
woman and I had recognized the title. I looked into it. It was so amazing to see the book in full illustration, but also to know that it's won all these awards and then also to know that it's your daughter's favorite book too, Raman. So I, I really feel like this whole thing came full circle. Yeah. I mean, no lie. It should be obvious to everyone. We totally use this podcast to reach out to people we admire and talk to. And sheetal has been on our list. So when her folks reached out, you know, about the Reading is Fundamental Literacy Nonprofit and the Rally to Read 100 program on March 2nd, like, we jumped at it. We're yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> of, of course. <laughs> and we we had the, the opportunity to have a couple conversations with Sheetal. And I learned in conversation with her that Always Anjali is not a one-off book. There's actually two books. The second book is called Bravo Anjali, and it's a whole series of books. And there's going to be a lot more stuff coming out of the Anjali cinematic universe, which I'm so excited for. And um, man, we've had a lot of great folks on the show, but be expecting, you know, children's books creators. I think it's just as important to kind of hear their voices, their unique stories, and their authentic stories, because this is... This is where representation matters, not just little brown and black kids hearing and seeing the stories of brown and black kids, but majority kids, just like with this podcast, majority brains hearing minority perspectives or and just real perspectives. So we think you're really going to enjoy our conversation with our new friend, Sheetal. Sheetal, welcome to the pod. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're so excited to have you. So you're famous, but I would argue you are more famous with my daughter for your work. <laughs> I'm not a fanboy of a lot of kids' books, but I am now a fanboy of your kids' books. And I guess the question we want to ask before that is, I don't know, dude, where are you from? <laughs> I was born in New Jersey and then moved to Pennsylvania and then New York and then California and then back to New York because I've been all over. Wow. Do you usually get a follow-up question? Like, but Sheetal, where are you really from? Always, of course. Well, no, actually, <laughs> it depends on who's asking. It depends on, I don't want to make blanket statements, but yes, it does depend on who's asking because they, it's clear that- What part of Jersey they're that. from? Yes. <laughs> right? yes. <laughs> Which exit? <laughs> That's great. My parents, though, are from India and they were immigrants. And so I'm first generation Indian American. My mom would probably take your last name and find out exactly what village your great-grandparents were from. <laughs> <laughs> and she probably could. I mean, there's a whole, right. it's, it's one of those things where like you say, if I tell you exactly where my dad was from, where my mom was from, yeah. that, like it happens. And they're like, all of a sudden, no, five people in common. And I don't have that superpower. <laughs> I, I wish I did. That'd be so cool. Well, because you didn't live there. You didn't know the whole, like in India. Oh, no, but what, no, but imagine town. if you could do that, like by zip code, like by an American name. Oh, you're of the yeah. like, Woodland Hills Smiths. Right, I mean, right. this, this is not, this is not the same, but it kind of reminds me of like when someone's like, oh, you should meet so-and-so from whatever company. Then I go onto LinkedIn and I'm like, is that a first connection, second or third connection? It's sort of. There's, so you're saying aunties had the original LinkedIn. Aunties were the original LinkedIn. Yes. They okay. really were. They really were. They know I could connect. It's amazing how I have so many aunties and uncles in my life that like know everything about every you mentioned oh do you remember this person oh yeah they're this they know their profession they know how many kids they know what they do they give you the whole bio data and I'm like I can barely remember all the things that all of my friends do on a regular basis but they but they seem to know it and what the worst part is I'm gonna sound terrible we're going on a tangent here but like when my mom's like, oh, so-and-so just moved to Long Island or so-and-so's in XYZ city of Jersey, you should meet up with them. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to, mom. I'm so busy. It's sweet. I'm sorry, they always mom. try to, they all want us to meet each other. One big happy family. They mean well. And we're totally going to do that. I We're totally going to do that one day. Like I'm going to talk to Sharon. I'll be like, oh, my daughter's in the same town as your son. Right. They should totally meet up. Yep. They'll be like. We don't care. Well. It is striking how things will come, at least for me, out of my mouth. And I'm like, did I just say that? <laughs> There's no way I just said that. You got to be like, I'm not that person. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how much has been brainwashed and conditioned in us that we don't even realize. Well, we're turning into the uncles and aunties now. We are the uncles and aunties now. I hope a little different. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. So I have to ask, what was it like? I kind of, I feel like I know it. You've written two books. We've mentioned them briefly already that talk about your childhood experience. Was it like that? What were some stories from your youth that 
that didn't make the cut of of the stories. <laughs> well, it's only been two books so far, so there's a lot of stories. <laughs> I love that you said so far. I'm yes. so happy that you said that. No, no, no. It's a whole series. There's the third one is coming out in the fall, and we've got many, many, many more planned. I'm following the alphabet. That's my like one of the Easter eggs I'm doing when you see the books. You have always yeah. Anjali Bravo, and so that's a bit of. And the other Easter egg I will tell you about that people love to know is at the end of each book there is a picture. It gives mm-hmm. you a hint as for what's coming next. Mm-hmm. So at the end of Always Anjali, there's a little picture of Anjali playing the tabla. And at the end of number two, there's a little picture yeah. that's going to give you a little hint of what's coming in number three. Called that out last night, actually. So. She she realized a little trailer. It? Yeah. Because, oh, I mean, I she, she'll look at the book. And usually she gets really mad at me because after I finish reading a book to her, I like to read the bio data or the after paragraph. And she sometimes like, do you want me to read this? Or she's like, boring, dad. So while I'm doing that. <laughs> So while I was because I was about to talk to you, I was like, "Let me read her bio one more time." Oh, what about her artist? I need to network with the artist. And she just started staring at it, and yeah, so she, she called caught it. it. She caught it. Oh, I but love she it. has her predictions. Does that mean there's there are twenty six books? Well, that's this... a very good question, Sharon. The minute whenever I say that, especially when I do my school visits, they're like, "Is there going to be twenty six? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'd love for there to be twenty six. But I don't, I have no idea. I've kind of painted myself into a corner at this point. But it's so funny when we say that because then the kids will be like, what are you going to do for X? And yeah. And I'm like, I was just thinking like Z, what could Z be? Yeah, we're going to have to. It's a very Sufjan Stevens kind of project. Well, technically, the Hindi alphabet has uh, 46. Yeah, we're not doing that. No, no, that's not (laughs) happening. But in terms of my childhood, I don't like to say typical because I think it is really different for everybody in the sense of I think there are certain things we can certainly all like reminisce and, and find a connection on. But I've met so many people that have had like enough small things that are different that make a striking difference in who they are. It really makes me crazy because people do think South Asians are a monolith and we're not. And often the narrative that we see in mainstream media is the one of like, your parents don't let you do anything and you're an academic kid and you're the nerdy kid and all these things. And I don't think that that's accurate for a lot of people. So my parents, the most important things for them, it was education and community. And so community was a big part of my life very early on. I mean, when I say I've worked in community and with kids like since I was a child, it's it, there's no exaggeration since I've like memory since I was four years old and working and volunteering. My dad, when we moved to Pennsylvania, was one of a few people who basically fundraised and founded the first kind of inclusive Hindu temple in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And people come from all over because it has many religions and it's very open and like, please come, we all, you're all, all are welcome type feeling. Mm-hmm. And so he was one of the founders of that. And it's now a community of thousands of people that go there. And so, and we live five minutes from there. So we went there every weekend. I was part of the youth movement around that. And so that was very much my weekends. I will say in my school life, though, because I was very much the minority, I started out when I was in New Jersey at a Catholic school, a very, very small private Catholic school where religion was a subject and we went to mass on every Friday. I probably know more about Catholicism than a lot of people. And it was weird. It was definitely like, odd as a child to navigate having religion classes, going to mass, your parents saying, don't get the communion, don't participate, (laughs) but then being picked by my teachers to read from the gospel or Bible pretty much every Friday because I was the best reader. And what they did in class is like, you all take turns. And I kept getting picked. And it was just, it was very odd as a child to kind of reconcile all those things. And then we moved when I was 12, which was very traumatizing to go to a new school. And it was a public school and it's very, very, very different. And it was more diverse in socioeconomic ways. And there were definitely more people of color, but not Indian kids. And so I still know the other four Indian kids that were in a high school of over 2,500 people. So we were small. And Mm -hmm. so I found that I often, what I ended up doing, I was hiding parts of myself or I was like one person here and I was one Mm -hmm. person there. And I didn't feel like I was able to kind of bring both sides of me together in a way that like was effortless, which I hope my kids are, because I think the way we're raising them is very different. And so in a way that I felt like I always had to hide the Indian part of me until I was in certain settings, I don't think that they're having to do, I hope. Yeah. It's so much of that resonates with my dad actually founded the Hindu society of Alabama, right? Like (laughs) it's, and it was very much this disassociated like weekend existence almost like a secret identity. And then you kind of hid that away 
when you went to school, when your friends came over, you were afraid that they were going to catch the smells of the food or tell your parents to not play the budgeons so loud or something for fear that they would find you out, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I would say that I had a good group of friends that I didn't, Hmm. I think it was more me. I think it was Mm. more me not being really struggling and not having my own confidence and and kind Mm -hmm. of, I was insecure in myself. I don't, my my good friends, I think the funny thing is I think they would have loved to be a part of it and they were great. And I'm still in touch with many of them, but I was like, so not. And I think when it comes to social emotional learning, Mm -hmm. my parents and many immigrant parents do not have the luxury to kind of spend any time on that with our children. They're just trying to get food on the table, barely Mm -hmm. get through the day, no money, working in many, many, many jobs. So like sit down to talk about my feelings was not anything that ever happened, period. Like there was no way. And if I tried, they didn't have the capacity or the experience to really help me with it because they didn't mm-hmm. have it either. Like they don't, that's mm-hmm. not something in India that my parents experienced as a part of their being raised. Right. Because it was all about studying, studying, studying and not equal time being spent on your social and emotional health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel that's very, like my parents to this day, when like they, they see me, the conversations I'm having with my kids, they're always like, oh my God. And I, and I, and I always say to them, oh my yeah, God, I will, I will, because, because, because they think it's like a little too much. Okay, and I'm okay. like, by the way, talking about your feelings, to, so this is what I always say to them. I go, our kids, all our kids are going to learn math and they're going to learn how to read and they're going to learn all the things. Right. My job is to make sure they're not assholes and to learn how to deal with the world and process and have big feelings. That's why my books are where they are. Like I'm I'm all about like letting our kids have the feelings that they have. They should be able to talk about whatever they want. We need to equip them with the Mm -hmm. tools to get through life. And I think we've seen over and over again, many adults don't even know how to do it because we don't, we don't spend time about this in a lot of the schools because I get it. Like, there's enough that we have to try to teach. And then the parents are overworked and barely getting through the day. So for me, that is a really big piece of how I like to raise my kids and why I write the books that I do. And also very much, I mean, I'm fine. I turned out okay, but it's been a tough road because my parents, they, they did their best, but like they don't, yeah. they, they, it's, it's a luxury, I think, for them to feel like they could have even spent time on that. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Can you remember a time when you were maybe in school and something happened and you would have wanted to come home and tell your parents about it? I think it was all situations navigating kind of social and emotional things, whether it be friends, whether it be navigating like things that happened at school, something somebody said, something that felt derogatory. I started working very young. I always wanted to start working. So like my very first job was a paper route. Then I worked Mm -hmm. at McDonald's. Then I worked at a restaurant. Like the only jobs that they would give like a 15 year old with like work permits. And I did all of those things. And so then when I was out in the world, I was having a lot more experiences that put my race and who I was to the forefront, which I hadn't experienced as much. And so there was a lot of things, but they, but their take on it, there wasn't much of a take. Like it's interesting because I think our parents came here because they wanted a different life and they wanted something Mm -hmm. more. And I always say, you didn't come here to lose yourself. You came here to find yourself. And that's the beauty of, of being an immigrant. But I think what happens is sometimes, and this this didn't happen with my parents, but for example, with my husband's parents, this is a great example. So I speak Gujarati and Hindi. And we spoke mm-hmm. Gujarati in my house. I'm fluent in it. I read and write it. Like it's the big part. I mean, and I can hold my own very easily. And there were times because we went to India so much that I would come home when I was little and I would only be speaking in Gujarati because it was mm-hmm. such a normal thing. And my teachers never, like, they were like, no, fine. She'll, like, it'll come out. The English will come back. She'll be here for a while, like a month, and it'll be fine. Whereas when that happened with my husband, they called, the teachers called his parents and made it a problem. And then Mm -hmm. his parents stopped speaking to him in Gujarati because they were so worried about it. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be so sad because to this day, my husband can't speak as well as I can. And it's because of that. 
And I think there are so many little things like that that happen Mm -hmm. that really define the way we look at the world, how we look at the world, how our parents feel like they have to be in the world in order to exist. And so I think finding the balance for our parents in terms of not feeling like an outsider, but also being proud of who you are is, is a constant back and forth. Well, this is where we've had a debate with a lot of friends in Canada. Like America's defined as a melting pot and Canada's almost like a mosaic or a bowl of chili where you can retain the flavors. But the name of the game for my parents, that exact same story about Punjabi and me, why my older sister speaks more Punjabi than me, exact same story, because it's all about assimilate, fit Mm -hmm. in, don't Mm -hmm. stand out. We'll carve out a nice little space for our culture yeah, at Temple. Keep your head down. On the weekends. <laughs> mm. And um, something is lost in that. I'm, I'm proud of who I turned out to be. My Probably my perceptions on Indian culture are different because I had that. But um, there, there's a sense of loss sometimes with what gets lost. in trans- And that's what probably hit me the hardest in your first book, in Always Anjali, is the argument she's having with her parents when she comes home and the self-declaration. It happened in the namesake as well, where the main character chooses to change his name as well to a more American sounding name. And um, as someone who has a name that's difficult to pronounce, it just, it really hurt me. Really, it, like, it, yeah. it made me feel, honestly, again, it dug up a lot when I read that page for the first time to my daughter who has a Western name now, you know? Right. Well, it's not, I mean, and that's the thing. What's been interesting about that book is, the idea of feeling like you have to change something about yourself to fit in yeah. is an idea that all kids and adults, mm-hmm. frankly, can can mm-hmm. relate to. And mm-hmm. so for, for when I was thinking about what the, the narrative of the first book was, it's something that I actually never wanted to change my name growing up, but I dealt with like the mm-hmm. mispronunciations and the misspellings mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. terrible jokes that would rhyme with your name. All of those things happened. It wasn't until I was a professional actress And by the way, I always say this, I started out when Brown was not cool. So I have Mm -hmm. a very different experience and a lot of history that I think we don't talk about enough about the industry when I started in the 90s. And I was told over and over and asked to change my name to the point where one of the person even said, just one of them, just change one of them. I re- and then another time, this one in particular really res- like really stays in my mind, which is really what ended up being the inspiration for Always Anjali, is I was up for a very, very big job. And it was a big deal. It was a big feature with the studio. And it was one of the leads. And I sat there in my like fourth callback with the casting director and producer. And they came in and they said, everybody loves you, but we need you to change your name. One of your names, anything. Wow. And I really didn't believe that that was going to be the deal breaker. And I was like, I went back, talked to Maiden. I'm like, I'm not changing. Come on. Like, really? And I didn't get the job. And that wasn't the only time. And so there are a number of times. And, and by the way, I didn't change my name and I lost out on a lot of things. Now, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who did change their name. Mm-hmm. And an argument could be made that maybe I should have played the game a little bit better because people who change their names, actually, when you think about like what the opportunities they got because they did advance the, the cause, et cetera. Right. Yeah, whatever. I just never felt that that was something I was going to do. And I didn't want to compromise that. And I've taken kind of the, the longer road in that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that a lot when I was doing my character work for Anjali and who she was. And obviously, a lot of it was based on me and my friends and my kids and trying to like figure out who she was. And then I just heard story after story Mm -hmm. about kids and parents being like, what do you think is a good name for my Indian kid? Like, what's going to be easy for everyone to say? And then if you can believe it, Dear Abby wrote a post. There was someone who wrote into Dear Abby. Well, I don't even know who Dear Abby is anymore because obviously she's not here with us anymore. But whoever that person is, it was a mixed couple. It was an Indian and a white woman. And they wrote into Dear Abby saying, we really want like something traditional. But, but da, 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 all the things. And her advice was, yeah, don't go traditional. And, and basically huh. was like, go with the like lowest cut, like find the thing that's easiest. And I was like, that's the advice? Wow. And I, I remember writing a whole thing on social. I was like, Abby is wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong. <laughs> but this is the message we're putting out there. And yeah. it really, it broke my heart. And so that I was like, that's it. And the nice thing is about it, whether it be your name or what, for some, it's not the name, but every kid that I speak to is like, I felt like I need to change this about myself or whatever mm-hmm. all the little things are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so the whole point is like, you don't need to change any part of yourself. Like if, and if you do, then these people are not your friends. Especially that Abby woman, like F her. 
Oh my god! I I was like, and her name is Abby. Like, there's no yeah. She's like no context or association to the situation. I go so back and forth on. I mean, and again, my excuse is our daughters half Chinese, half Indian, so we had to like kind of merge. And there's a heritage. Yeah, I mean, I think you should look. You should do whatever you want, but you should not compromise what you want. For other people, you should not be right. compromising for other people. But there, I, I would be lying if I didn't say so much of my identity is wrapped up in the mispronunciation of my name, right? And like what shaped me. And I think that's good. The bad things shape you as well. But I still have my, when someone would mispronounce my name as a kid on stage and my dad would stand up in the audience to correct everyone with a oh, thick accent. Oh, I love that he did. As a kid though, I know, you don't I know, like that. I know, like, but like, and, that's really great of your dad to be that confident to do that. There's, I hate to keep invoking like other pieces of media here, but The Namesake, right? By Jhumpa Lahiri. When I read the book, at the time, one of my all-time favorite books, when I read it, because like, that's me, that kid is, that's my existence. And then I saw the film, and I like Cal Penn, but just so-so feelings on his performance in that movie. But I read the book in my early 20s. I saw the film in my late 20s. And um, the father is played by the late Irfan Khan, I believe. Beautiful. like I He's amazing. Yeah. Yes, insane. I saw the movie from the dad's perspective, mm-hmm. dealing with this petulant child. And I, I literally remember walking out of the... And having all those memories of the things my dad did, the arguments I had with my dad about those things, the embarrassment I had from him. And I literally walked out of the theater and called my dad and I apologized. I might have left him a voicemail, but it's like to really, you have to see things from what these other people are going through, right? And that empathy, honestly, I try to extend it every which way, but yeah, anyway, it's so interesting that literature, even and especially children's literature when done well that doesn't speak down to the audience the parents or the kids like yours can kind of really evoke these kind of truisms like if they're not actually doing that it's just kind of it's comic booky entertainment stuff no disrespect to comic well and that but that's very much when i write my books it is what i wanted because i wanted to write about real things and i i love a book about dinosaurs and unicorns as much as the Mm -hmm. next parent but Mm -hmm. it's like really we need to talk about our kids about real things but put in a form that's accessible that's entertaining mm-hmm. that are characters that we like and that's what i wanted to create with anjali as somebody that people would be like talking about and that they saw her themselves in her but that then there was layered in real lessons about real things that our kids are going through every day because they are not too young to talk about anything in my opinion and in fact they need to find a way to process the world and they need to understand why things are happening and we cannot be shielding them from things. I really, all the conversations that are happening right now about everything, it's really alarming. I mean, I, 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 the other day I had, I was talking to someone and I said, our kids are getting gunned down in schools and they're having lockdown drills. And you're telling me that they're equipped to handle that, but they can't talk about these things about racism, bullying, not fitting in all this stuff. Like that's too much for them when they had to do lockdown drills. My, my daughter came home and wrote a a story about a lockdown drill that happened in her school that traumatized her. Wow. I mean, I find that very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, and we can't talk to our kids about basic things. It's, it's insane. It makes me insane. Yeah. As a parent, it's an interesting time. It's a really interesting time. And it's, it's one of those things where I've reflected on, I've got, my sister recently had a baby, so she's got a newborn. Well, he's not, he's actually almost a year, but in my head, he's a newborn, right? Because I've only seen him like once. Time has during, no meaning anymore. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing. And I think about how that child is being socialized today or maybe not being socialized, right? Like when I had my kids, it was all about getting them out there, getting them to interact before they were 12 months old, like all these like early childhood type of things. And so there's that like aspect of both the pandemic and also kind of where we are in life. And then, and then just hearing you say a lockdown drill, like that is that is not something that I personally have ever experienced, but I have experienced literally seeing classmates of mine in public school with handguns because that was before metal detectors. And mm-hmm. and it, it is one of those interesting things where just to tie it back to like culture and like different generational changes, we are almost, it reminds me of kind of the way my parents related to us, similar to you of like, our kids are going through stuff where we personally don't have firsthand experience, right? So how can we, how can we support them with those conversations? How do we even know where to begin? And I think that's something really beautiful about the books that you've written. It it it's, creates a dialogue where it allows those discussions to to begin, 
right? It sort of, it, it has a framework where we can start to, to have language around a topic that might be affecting a child or just all of us and shedding light yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. And on purpose, we always write like teacher slash parent guides to go along with every book that's free and you can download Mm -hmm. online that just really help. People are looking for having these conversations and still are like, I don't know how to ask the question. I don't know what the question to ask is. We have it all laid out. So it's super easy and allows like I always say there's no better place than in the lap of someone you love to ask the questions that you're most nervous about asking. Like your kids are going to do that when they're in your arms, when they're reading a book. I mean, I can't tell you how many parents shared stories to me about their own child going through something. They're like, I didn't even know it. But then I read the book and they felt safe enough because some ice was broken to be like, Mm -hmm. actually, that happens to me too. Or I feel like this when this happens. Or my teacher still can't pronounce my name when things Mm. like that we don't even know is going on. Right. Well, it's even in, we we talk a lot about representation on screen and so on the page too, but it's almost like modeled behavior. Like in the second book without spoiling a kid's book. I no, mean, I mean, it's, the, there's no, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> Read the book, guys. It won't take that long. It's, it's great. Take, yeah. <laughs> at, at the end of the second book, one of the most poignant moments is the, the friend who's been a bit of a, not yeah. a very good friend, right? She's like, that was not cool. Cool that you're apologizing, but that was not cool. That, and it's this modeling behavior of say what's on your mind. Don't yes. let people get. You know, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm not so sure glad. what the lesson is. No, no. I'm so glad that you noticed that. That was purposeful, because in drafts, which is so funny. Again, even we're all like think we're progressive and we're like with it, and then you end up in these kind of conditioned <laughs> behaviors. I had a draft where she was like, "It's okay," and da, 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 everything's fine. And then as I was going through it, I'm like, "But it's not okay." No, it's and not. I think, and I think that that's the problem is like, we want to like get through the conflict when I really want to teach kids that it's okay to say it's not okay. You can of course get through it. You don't have to like spend a day on it going over and over. Oh no, you I want an arch to... enemy in the Anjali cinematic universe <laughs> now. I want to see where this goes. No, but I, I really wanted to give them both language, especially, yeah. and Deepak too, like this thing that Deepak was going through and doesn't necessarily have to be a boy. It could be reversed mm-hmm. as well, but that she was like, it really hurt my feelings. Like he, she didn't let him off the hook. It was purposeful and he had to acknowledge it. He had to actually take a beat, take it in. Own it, own it. Own it. And then you can move past it. And so that was deliberate. And I'm really glad that you noticed it because it was very much intentional to give language around that. How do you think about, I mean, there's lots of letters in the alphabet. It's almost like, like on this podcast, right? Something we talk about, we're not an Asian podcast, we're an American podcast. And we want to talk to lots of different points of view. And we're like, well, wow, we haven't, we don't talk enough to people of this persuasion or of that enough authors or for a while we're like we're talking to too many marketers right like (laughs) as you think about kind of the lessons and not the agenda but like the the lessons you want to impart through your work what are the areas you want to tackle next or what are the most pressing ones if you only get to do two more or five more or 26 more but like what would the next ones that, that that are really on your mind now be about well at the heart of everything I do is trying to really put and show a family that, you know, is an American family, but in a modern form in the sense of obviously her parents have a different background. They come from another country. But at the end of the day, these are all the things we have in common. And it's very much normalizing her and the family. And like I always like to say, it's not centered around holidays and religion or the narratives being about race. It's really about like everyday slice of life stuff. And I don't think we can push the needle forward and feeling like we're all part of the fabric of this world unless we stop othering each other. Like if the only book you read in Black History Month is about slavery, which there's a place for, it's a problem. If the only book you're reading when it, when, when you're school, if you're a teacher and you're like, I want to have a book about brown kids and it's centered around Diwali or Holi, that's a problem because it's othering us in a way that we have to sit here and explain our existence and explain all the things that we do that like, did you that we did it? And at this point it's, it's quite offensive. And I always say to teachers, I want to see 10 books that represent kids of all colors, just doing everyday things until we have more books about the ordinary, as much as the extraordinary, it's not going to meld. So it's very much with that in mind. That's with all of my work. And I also, I have another book coming out. If I've, so I have the third, I have two books coming out in the fall, the Anjali third and another book called Making Happy. And that was very much, and it's with Barefoot Books written when I was going through cancer treatment and also 
feeling like when I went around because I really wanted to look for books about anything of this. My kids were very young at the time. They were two and four. And I couldn't find anything that wasn't abstract. And again, I would talk to people and they were like, yeah, they don't like to talk about that stuff in kids' books. It's like, it's too depressing. And I'm like, what do you mean it's too depressing? It's not. It's real life. You're telling me the kids don't deal with parents getting sick or things happening or losses of someone or whatever it is. And so I wrote this book and it's called Making Happy. And it's very much based, it's probably the most personal thing I've ever written to date. And it's about this girl whose mom gets sick and it's hard. And they have to find ways of making happy through it all. And it's interesting because with everything that we've all been through in the last two years, it's now taken on kind of a broader feel on this idea. I mean, when you see the book, the illustrations are gorgeous. They've been illustrated by Koa Lee. She's a painter from Vietnam and like, I just want to buy all of her paintings for my home. They're so <laughs> stunning. And she's done a really amazing job about putting poetry into the story. But when you see it, it's very clear that her mom has cancer. But the idea of making happy and making little things matter and making the most of things is something that right. I think everyone is saying, oh my God, this is like what we all need right now with everything going on and the pandemic and all the things that we're dealing with is how do you find those moments of joy? And we've talked about mental health being a problem. Mm -hmm. Suicide is the third leading cause of death in kids. It's mm. horrifying. And mm -hmm. so hopefully that book will be something that will allow for conversations about just how you're feeling. And in that book, the, the little girl has big feelings because she doesn't know how to deal with it all. And so it gives you language and stuff to kind of go through what very much I went through with my kids because I didn't know how to explain to them all the questions that they were asking. And there's a very poignant scene in that book where the little girl asks her mom why she got sick. And it's something that my kids always ask me. And so it's just, so that's to, that's to come. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's my first discovery of you was your kids' books. And then through mutual friends, the IMDb page, oh, wow, she was in these things. And then as I started reading the back pages of the books, looking up your op-eds, and that is something you vocally spoke, not just about your experience, but your observations of the WTF of our society, right? Like, there's a brilliant op-ed, I believe, I think it's in the British paper that it was in. Um, but, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But it was like, your husband, who's an entrepreneur, and the insurance, and all of that that went into it. Oh, it's that like was in the Daily this, Beast. Yeah, in the Beast, sorry. And I guess there's a question I want to ask about that, maybe, or not, as you like, but at what point, I don't mean for this question to sound condescending because it's not meant to be, but like, at what point did you say, I'm going to be a creator and I'm going to be an activist? When did the activist part of your brain light up or was it kind of always there lurking and it just took those kind of like inciting incidents in your own personal life to drive it? Yeah, no, I, I have been advocate activist since I was a kid. I mean, it's yeah, been part yeah. of my blood. Like I said, when I say I've worked with community, I really have. Mm -hmm. And I've always mm -hmm. been involved in nonprofit. I've created, mm -hmm. I, I founded one recently. It's really important to me. And I've never been able to separate the two. And it's interesting when you look at all the movies that I have mm -hmm. been in, and they've been over 20 at this point, what mm -hmm. I'm most mm -hmm. proud of is the breadth of the range of it all. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's not an accident that I was drawn to certain stories. And so a lot of my movies were the first of its kind when they came out and people didn't, when they came out, they were met with resistance for a lot of levels. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm, and many of them, mm -hmm. because they dealt with topics that no one wanted to talk about with Brown people. I've, there's two movies that I'm in called I can't think straight in the world and seen that are huge cult favorites mm -hmm, in the LGBT mm -hmm. community because you were not seeing those stories back when they came out. And I played a British Muslim girl who came out and fell in love with a Palestinian woman. And so you have these two very kind of traditional cultures kind of coming to head. And when those movies came out, which now have become like, I'm not kidding that the amount of like requests I get to go to conferences and stuff with, with, for the community, um, it means so much to them. But when they came out, I got equal, you should die. I can't believe you did this as much as we love you. And so I've never been able to separate who I am as a person and mm -hmm. my work. And I'm really proud that I'm able to do work kind of bringing traditionally excluded narratives to the forefront. And so that's very much what I care about. And it's also probably why I'm very selective about the movies that I do or the mm -hmm. TV shows that I do. Mm -hmm. I could certainly be doing a lot of different things and I choose to just do what I do. And yeah. people always ask me like, why are you? And I'm like, that's not of interest to me. 
I love that. I love that. <laughs> so, note of that. Sheetal, you mentioned nonprofit and all of the great things that you do. And we've heard that you've been quite involved in something called Rally to Read 100 through Reading is Fundamental. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your involvement with that and how people can get involved? Yes. Rally to Read is an initiative done by Reading is Fundamental who are an ama- I love this organization and they so rally to read is where they really want participants to read 100 books and so every month they picked kind of read alouds that we all recorded of our books always unduly was i think the december book and it all culminates into this kind of big read aloud which is going to be march 2nd and they just announced the lineup which is amazing it has um and I got a lot of child activists that I love so much, Orion, Jean, and all these guys who are coming. And also you have Chelsea Clinton and like, it's got, a, it's an amazing lineup of people, but I just love their, their mission, which is to basically celebrate and include kids in not just reading because we love it, but the right types of things, being inclusive books that reflect the world as is everything that we're talking about that matter that do shape our kids' minds and make them into hopefully great adults. But it was great. It was a six-month initiative to get kids to read all of these books, 100 books, which it seems like a lot, but it's not. It's just Mm -hmm. like reading a a bunch of books. And so Mm -hmm. I was happy that they asked. I'm happy to participate. And they they do great work. So I definitely recommend looking them up and seeing how you can get involved. And they have all of these read-alouds on their webpage. That's awesome. awesome. Because it's like, one, we'll put the link in our show notes, but like, I'm always looking for reading lists. And 100 is not a lot. Like I read my daughter three to four books a night. So you can get this done in a month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, these books, I mean, the same thing. We read like five or six books a night between both of my kids because they get to pick some. And then I like to pick one and then it's great. It's like a half hour. It's amazing. What do your kids think about your books? Where do they rank? What is their Goodreads score of your books, of mom's books? Well, they're very sweet. They do love my books. But during the process... They're very involved (laughs) and are very tough critics. I mean, I feel very lucky because I have a focus group like right here (laughs) all the time. And I'm writing a lot of chapter books now. So like between the picture books and chapter books and all the things, it's great to be able to read to them. Now, especially the Anjali books, which are illustrated picture books, they're meant to be read out loud. And so I love my acting background really helps with kind of getting the rhythms right. And there's very particular thought being put into where the words go on the page, reading them out loud, changing the word if the rhythm is off. And to be able to read them out loud to my kids, because my now my oldest can read, she's like, I'll just read it. I'm like, no, no, I need to read it out loud. I mean, I need to see your face. And I need to see how it's flowing. So they're a big help, tough critics. I have changed things because of them. They give me good ideas. I will say sometimes they're like, well, what about this? Or I don't like that word. I don't really understand that. And I'm like, okay, good to know. And so they, they're really between them and their friends who I can always call on too, especially pre-COVID. It's been a really great help. If we were to go back in time, all the way back to maybe that moment that you switch schools, what's advice that you would give to your younger self? You know, I would probably want to tell myself to have more faith in myself. Um, It took me a while. It's funny. People think of me as like a very outspoken, confident person, and I am. But it took me a long time to get here. And it wasn't without not being so for a long time. And like always keeping my kind of voice hidden. There were certain things that I always felt comfortable talking about. In fact, it's funny you say that, Roman. In terms of like, activism and and essential fairness and Mm -hmm, justice mm -hmm. of the world, I have always been extremely vocal. I have Mm -hmm. teachers that when you look back at my report cards being like, you like, she thought you bring a topic up and did it like social studies, sociology. (laughs) I was like, I was the one. But when it came to myself and when it came to advocating for myself and the things that I wanted, I struggled a lot. I had a tough time kind of figuring out who I was, what I wanted, where I fit in. Also, because what I chose to do, which was going into the arts, was something that I didn't have anybody to help guide me in. No one else had done it like that looked like me before me that I had seen in my experience. And so it was really hard. And so my parents were like, who's who that's doing this? And so when I started, when I went to NYU and I was thrilled to get into Tisch because that's where I wanted to go and if audition, it's a whole process. I was really naive and there was a bit of culture shock into what I kind of got myself into. And 
there were a lot of things that when I look back, I'm like, oh, I wish I could have done that differently. I wish I could have made the most of that. Or I wish I didn't fall for that. I fell for a lot of stuff that when I look back, I'm like, how could I even believe that? But I really, I, I'm an idealist at heart and mm -hmm. I believe the best in people. And I was really messed with quite a bit. So it, it's come a long way to kind of come to where I am now. I think it's it's so funny. My wife was gently ribbing me uh, about the shows. She was like, you realize one day your daughter's going to listen to all these conversations you've had with all these people. And I was like, oh, goodness. It's funny. And so when people are like, can I say that word? And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, say whatever. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. I mean, oh, no, my daughter's going to hear this. But it's so much of these reflections that get brought up, like this podcast originally started not as a podcast, right? It was Sharon was one of an old friend I've known for 20 years. And I just wanted to have conversations with people that I've known for years about them. But it's it's a great conversation with someone or reading a great book by someone, be it by you, by Jean Lun Yang, by Abdullah Rahman Malik or whatever. It it stirs up your own experiences. It makes you reflect and think and talk. And that's where conversations, podcasts, interviews, coffees are, are so much better. And I love the fact that you're you're putting this out there that is... <laughs> there are not a lot of kids books that stir up a lot inside of me when I read them to my daughter. And I think if I read it by myself casually at a bookstore, it might not have done the same, but to that point of being in that moment, that comfortable, mm -hmm. safe space, holding your child and reading something that causes a deep reflection in you, it's a very powerful thing. So thank Well, you. and I think even more powerful if you were to then share your own experiences yeah. with your child. Because I, I save that for the podcast. She'll get that in point. <laughs> No, but the, yeah, those are the yeah. things is like, because they, they're like, really, that happened to you? I mean, my kids are like, nothing, everything, nothing yeah. ever happens. And I'm like, no, I don't. And it's like, they have this idea of adulthood, you know, of, of their parents. <laughs> and so I think it's really great when we can actually share what happened to us with our kids. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Sheetal, it's been so good to catch up with you. It's been many years since you and I have actually yeah. talked to each other live. And it's amazing to see how your book has really taken off. I think, I feel like Solomon was maybe in like the second year of his preschool life at the time. With when Ember. You were... Yeah, they were in the threes together with Lisa. That yeah. was thinking back. Yeah. And uh, that's when you were like, just kind of working out drafts and bringing it in and reading it to the kids. And it was mm -hmm, just kind mm -hmm. of kicking off. And it's just been, it's like amazing, like over the last couple of years, how much it's grown. And thank you for spending your time with us today. And so I think now is probably a great time to pivot over to speed round. Are you ready oh. for speed round? Sure. <laughs> a wrong answer. No one's ever ready for no speed one's round. Ever ready. I, don't know, like, I don't know what the questions yeah. are. I don't even exactly. know. I have no idea what's coming, but I'll no do my No one's best. ever ready. <laughs> okay. So first question, what is something about you that no one expects? That I am a huge fan of Howard Stern. What? Okay. <laughs> every day. I knew it. People, people were going to be, I, I, every day. Wow. I'm, I may have just judged you a little bit. <laughs> And we can talk about that, but, but we should, we should talk about it. Separate, separate podcast. That's yeah. great. Well, this is where speed round like just goes off the rails. Always <laughs> right. inevitably. Like, what? Usually it's the third or fourth question that we go into tangent territory on. What is a book, a movie, or even a TV show that has characters that you relate to? Oh, well, I'll tell you my favorite. I mean, it's really, I, I don't like saying favorites because it's like impossible depending on what it is, but like, I really do have, there's one movie that has, I would say is probably my most favorite of all time, and that's Dead Poets Society. Nice. Yeah, that's a great one. What is your favorite mom dish? Mom dish? Like that mm -hmm. I make for my kid? Either. So it's interesting when we get moms on this show. I love that when our guests go there first. Yeah. Um, but it was about so, your mom, but now you have to answer the question both. Yes, both. Oh, like that my mom makes for me? Yep. Yes. But both. Like what? what's your favorite that your mom makes or used to make? And then what do you make today for your kids? So I, I'm really good at kind of combining like the, the best of all worlds with my kids. Like I make them a really good tofu makni that's like delicious. Mm. And I'm really proud. And they like it with like fried rice or brown rice or whatever. In terms of what my mom makes, I mean, there's so much that like when I go home, I want her to make and, and have, but there is one specific like vegetable dish with potatoes. And I love like, when I say spicy, I mean, like I get like spicy in India, spicy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I like very, very, very spicy. My mom has a garden every year where she grows her own vegetables and her own peppers, hot peppers. Mm. And those hot peppers are like the best. 
And so we'll just eat them. Like she'll make fritters out of them. She'll mm -hmm. put them in the vegetable dishes. And so anything spicy and I lean vegan, I'm vegetarian, but I'm pretty much vegan. And so like plant-based, just yumminess. I love that feels clean and, and good. Mom's spicy pakoras. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. They're good. I would love for you to write a children's book, like a vegan cookbook for children for children's it's, dishes because I, in my mind. yeah, in I my think, mind. I think there's a market for that. I would be first in line to buy that for, me, <laughs> for sure. What is your least favorite food? Uh, my least favorite. I don't like, it's more about the texture, but I'm not like a yogurt person or a custard person or like jello, anything that like these textures, I don't love. I can't eat them. Actually, I don't eat them at all. And yogurt, not eating yogurt and you're Indian is tough. Yeah, I'm like, I'm you're you're really mainlining yeah. the spice if you're sacrificing so, the yogurt. Want, That's the I only like protective it. element for your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Now, you're just like, you're really hardcore when it comes to spice. I, like, <laughs> I, I really am. You take it wow. straight up. That's great. Who is someone that you would want to interview on a podcast? I mean, it, it's like, depends on what part of my life we're going into because <laughs> there's so many. But I think right now, I would probably, in terms of like this, what's going on in the world, want to maybe Nicole Hannah-Jones. I find her to be really interesting mm -hmm. and prolific. And I just like to listen to her take on things. Yeah. What's, what's something you would want her take on specifically? What's, you get one question with her. You're in the elevator with her. I would say, what do you say to someone like me who is on the brink of losing faith in our democ the, the democratic systems. A very uplifting conversation. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but it's on my mind a lot. It's my mind. I, I literally was on a podcast last night for with Angry Asian Man Phil Yu to talk about the hope for the new year and predictions and the good and the bad and the ugly. And it's just like we all kind of start to coalesce around that, right? That yeah. there's this cloud. I'm trying to see through it. I really am. It's hard. And you have to find hard. moments. You have to find, find well, moments. Well, it's hard because you can do everything right. But when you're with a team that only cheats or lies or whatever, you're like, <laughs> there's different rules. Like at some point when you play a game, you want to have the same rules and the same yeah, things yeah. established. But if they're not, then what are we doing? Yeah. Shito, what does being a modern minority mean to you? I would say it's really about being as authentic to who you are as you want to be. You know, it's like, who are you? And that in itself, I think, is a modern thought, is feeling like we can be our most authentic selves, I think, is a time where we probably more than ever, I think there's a long way to go. Mm. But I think more than ever, there is space for us to just be us. And mm. that people are open to at least hearing a little bit of our stories from us. That's beautiful. I, I love that. What's so great about hearing you say is it that informs so much of what you do. It, it, it exudes off the page when I read your work to my daughter when I read it to myself. So she thought, I am so glad we finally got to meet. It's, yes. <laughs> I, and I'm glad to hear that there's so much more of this to come. Like that, that just genuinely makes me yeah. excited. There's directors and authors that I don't follow stories. I don't follow properties. I follow creators and I love it when I find a new creator. And honestly, part of the perks of this show is we get to talk to those creators. So thank you for doing what you do and please keep doing more. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for these conversations. Yes. Hoping for 26 books, Sheetal. No less. So can you, every letter of the <laughs> I'm going to Indian me. uncle. I'm Indian uncling me. you. 42. You help me. <laughs> and the vegan kids cookbook. Yes. Just add it to my to-do list. <laughs> my to-do list, as I'm sure yours are, are like these crazy. Like I get so excited oh, yeah. when I cross stuff out and then I'm like, I just added 10. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, oh gosh. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Ramin Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com